One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs. This is episode 12, and I'm Tom Altruziski. I'm joined tonight by Justin Bibber. How are you doing, Justin? I'm good, Tom. Uh, we just finished wrapping up a football podcast, and it's just you and I tonight. So, Well, now you're the one pulling back the veil. Yeah, as, hey, um... I, I jumped ahead of you. You were going to talk about it, and I, I, I jumped the gun and said it myself. So We're, we're reversing all our roles on everything today <laughs> on our recordings. Well, we, so, I think um... you and I are a little more squirrely than, than some of the other combinations <laughs> of, of podcast hosts, so. Well, we've been doing this for a little longer too, so I guess we've um we've evolved like a little back and forth that <laughs> Joe and Trey don't quite have that relationship with us yet. <laughs> well, um before we get going on baseball, uh, as you can tell Justin and I just recorded an episode of Gridiron Geeks our football podcast. Um and if you haven't heard about it, uh, there is a new football. Justin and I played last year the first season and we had a good time. Um and I think anybody who, you know, if you're interested in football and you play out a new baseball, I think you certainly might be interested in auto new football. So um, you can go ahead and listen to that. We'll post a link. Um, you can easily hit up Justin or me if you have any questions. Uh, and I think you might have a good time. So check it out. Uh, coming back to baseball, uh, we had a topic lined up for tonight. We wanted to talk a little bit about prospects. Um, you know, we talked about some prospects at the beginning of the season. But now that some time has gone on, we've seen people uh, raise their stock, lower their stock. So we wanted to come back a little and talk about some guys that have caught our eye, and especially with relation to Adenu, uh, if you've been playing for a long time or listening to us, you know that prospects have a little different feel than in your average dynasty league, where you want to hit on a guy that might help you right away or that might give you some trade value uh, rather than hoping to just call him up, say, if he's an A-ball, you know, you're not going to wait. Uh, so some of these guys will play into that Adenu style of prospect and kind of highlight the value that we think is most important. Uh, so, Justin, why don't you go ahead first with uh, one of the players you have lined up? Okay. Um, a couple of quick points about how I made my selections and, and also kind of how um, Autonew specifically, the format of Autonew relates to to how to find, you know, these particular prospects that you should target. Um, it's not really a dynasty league. So unlike a real dynasty league, we don't we are not going to put as much emphasis on like the 18 year old, you know, hot shot prospect that might be three or four years away because, uh, you holding them on your auto new roster for three or four years is probably a really bad idea. Um, so the guys that I've highlighted are all guys that um, are, are top prospects, but they're also close. And they all coincidentally, uh, the three that I'm going to mention are all um, college hitters and they were all drafted last year. So <laughs> um, <laughs> the first one I'm going to highlight is, is Andrew Benintendi. Um, he has been fantastic this year. He started out in high A in the Red Sox organization um, he had a 434 weighted on base. He only struck out 5.8% of the time. Um, he didn't show a ton of power, but and that's the other thing. And, and unless you're playing in one of the five by five leagues or the less so the four by four, cause there's on base and slugging, but really only a five by five league, you care too much about specifically home runs. As long as there's doubles power, um, or, and there's the ability to get on base, that's really, you know, just as big a factor as home run power. Um, for, for the quality that they can, they can give you in, in Autonew. Um, and Benatendi maybe, may not have a ton of home run power right now, but he's got a lot of doubles power. He had seven triples in high A. So he's got some wheels. Um, and he controlled the plate. Fantastic. Um, now he's been called up to double A since then. I think, uh, as of a few weeks ago, he was called up to double A. He's not been nearly as good at double A, but he's only had 37 plate appearances. So his 244. Waited on base. I'm not too worried about that. Um, he's just probably adjusting to a new level. Um, I mean, what is that like? Six games? <laughs> yeah, it's nine games. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so that's that's really nothing to. I mean, you obviously you'd like to see him hit the ground running at Double A because that maybe that indicates that he, you know, I'm I'm of the opinion that he's a guy that could follow a Conforto path where he he's drafted. He was drafted last June. 
and he could potentially be in the majors by the end of the year. Um, I know there are a lot of people that, that think that's aggressive, that, that don't think there's much of a chance that he comes up this year. Um, that's reasonable. I mean, I don't think it's a, you know, if I had to wait, say, a 50-50 line, maybe I, I wouldn't say he'd be up this year. Um, but I think it's a potential. Um, it's a possibility. And, and with how well he did earlier in the season at, at, at high A, um, it certainly seemed like he might be on that path. Now, high A is a lot different than double A. Um, and he's showing right now that maybe he's, He's, he's not quite as close as he might have seen, but um, he was hitting so well, and especially his ability to co- control the strike zone. I mean, 9.7% walks, 5.8% K rate. Um, I mean, that's crazy good. And granted, he was a 21-year-old in high A. Uh, he was a you know, you know, seasoned college hitter, so maybe you'd expect him to do pretty well in his second professional season in high A coming off of a college career. Um, so we'll see how he does in double A. But he's a guy that I think that, um, could absolutely, I already mentioned Conforto, but I'll mention it again. I think he could be that sort of impact. Like maybe he comes up late this year in September and then going into next year, he's a guy that goes for, you know, maybe 15 or $20 in an auction. If he, if he, if he gets to the majors and if he hits anywhere near as well, um, as I think he could, um, the, the lower bar there is he doesn't come up until next year. And, you know, maybe what I said about him being a $10, $15 player is just kick that into next offseason instead. Um, but I love him. I, I love the fact that he doesn't strike out very much. Um, he's got more doubles power than he has home run power, but that plays in Fangrass points and Saber and in 4x4. Four four. So I don't mind that at all. Um, and I, I love, especially in Ottenew, I love the college hitters that you know, you know, the guys like Chris Bryant, the guys like Schwarber, the guys like Conforto. Um, they're drafted high. They're drafted high out of college. They're not going to be in the minors very long. And when they come up, they're probably going to have a lot less of an adjustment period. Whereas a guy like, I mean, we just saw Julio Urias come up over uh, on Friday. I think he started, right? And he struggled. I mean, he's 19 years old and he struggled. Um, he's probably going to have a lot more struggles as a 19-year-old. It's still adjusting. You know, he's probably not even physically matured yet. Um, whereas these guys are 21, 22 coming out of college and, um, I think they adjust a little bit better once they once they get to the majors. So, yeah, I think you made a great point too. Those guys coming out of college. Um, I think one thing that we need to remember sometimes in Ottenew is that you can hurt yourself just as much by you know sitting on a prospect for three four years, um, just as much as you can if you have a guy come up and he stinks and then you you know sit with him for three or four years as you try to wait till he gets it going. I think what's great about some of those college hitters is. If they come up and they're great, you know, you get them right away. But at the same time, if they come up and they stink, you know, you found that out faster. And I think that's kind of an underrated value with some of those guys is that if they're bad, you can cut them loose quickly and move on to new players. You don't have this um, kind of dynamic where you have someone sitting in a ball and you need to wait three years just to find out if they're even any good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, moving on to someone on my list. Uh, I guess I went a little bit of the opposite strategy with this guy. He's a little different than the typical players I might choose for Adenu. Uh But my first choice was Jorge Mateo, a shortstop for the Yankees. Um, and just like you said, in, in Adenu, you don't really need specifically home run power, but generally power on base um, and connected to that, you know, hitting for average are the three skills that are going to really make someone a useful Adenu player. Uh, and coming into last year, the book on Mateo was that he might have been a great real-life player, but was probably not going to be a great new player. Uh, he seemed like he was going to be a lot more speed, defense, you know, maybe would hit for high average, but it might be empty. Um, and not only in the stats, but the scouts this year have really come around on him in a bit saying that, you know, before I thought he had no homer power. Now he might be in that 5 to 10 range, um, which I think we were just talking right before we hit record on this. You know, for shortstops in Adenu, somebody who hits 10 home runs and maybe hits 270, 280, you know, as, as an outfielder or a first baseman, that would stink. But as a shortstop, that can be pretty valuable. You know, that could be really in the top 10, maybe even top five range, depending on the year. Yeah. And I think Mateo has kind of taken himself from that no power, you know, more speed, which is not really a great Adenu profile, and kind of put himself in, in the conversation, not just for someone who could be a useful out of new player for his hitting ability, uh, but also for someone just like you mentioned with Ben Intendi, who could start to move quickly and we could see him. Um, I don't think he's anywhere close to coming up this year, 
but could be in the conversation to come up next year. So he's kind of in that range where you could still return some value if you pick him up. Uh, I think a lot of people who picked him up for a dollar this year in auctions, uh, that might have been a savvy move because now you can hold on to him next year at either two dollars or maybe three or four if somebody uh, puts arbitration money on him, which they shouldn't, by the way. You shouldn't be putting your money on prospects, but they might. <laughs> um, that's just a little call out for for anybody thinking about that. Um, anyway, I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, I didn't really trust him coming into the auctions this year. Uh, and now I don't want to say I regret it, but I definitely look at someone who picked him up and I think they made a savvy move owning him now. Um, yeah, I have to admit, I'm not really a big fan of Jorge Mateo. Um, you, know, you are a Yankees fan, right, Tom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is a little bit of a homer pick. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, um, I actually in the past year, a lot of people like fellow Yankees fans had been coming around on him. And I kind of said, ah, I don't know. Like, I think that's just kind of Yankees homerism. And then this year with some of the scouts starting to turn around, I think Keith Law just ranked him in the top 25 a couple of days ago in his updated list. Um, they've kind of started to sell me that maybe this isn't, you know, Yankees homerism, that maybe there is something there with him. Yeah, I mean, he looks like he was 27th on, on Cato's list. Um which is mostly just factoring. That's not factoring in defense. It is factoring in a position adjustment because he's a shortstop. He gets a boost, but it's really just factoring in his offense, um, which is all we care about. Yeah. For which is all, which is all we care about. Exactly. So, I mean, that's usually, I like to look at Cato cause that gives you a little bit better sense of just, you know, how do these guys hit? Um, now I think he, he is absolutely, um, a pretty good prospect to target in a five by five league where that speed plays. Oh, a, for sure. A in five by five. I think he's a great prospect to target now. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't realize, I mean, he had 82 steals across two levels last season. So, I mean, that's kind yeah. of crazy. Um, and when he's got another 17 this year already. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, so in five by five, the speed plays and he doesn't have to do much more beyond that. And it seems like he, you know, he, he walks a fair bit. Um, he'll probably have a decent average. So, um, you know, so, I mean, it's tough in Fangraphs points because if a guy like this who has very little power and he doesn't seem to have doubles power, even it's, he's getting a lot of, a lot of slugging and ISO from his triples. Um, you know, it's a lot harder for a guy to really maintain that and carry, carry that forward to the majors. Right. Um, so, you know, the profile is, is not bad. I mean, he's 20, he's almost 21. He's in high eight right now. Um, he'll probably get in, get up to double A this year and then maybe he'll, maybe he'll debut next year, mid season, maybe as a guess. Um, so he's, he's close enough that you could take that risk, but I wouldn't want to own him for more than maybe a dollar or two. Um, if, if you really, you know, if you really believe in that profile, if you really believe in his, in his, uh, his, his potential, um, I, I wouldn't want to put more than a dollar or two on the line to, to own him, but. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. And, and looking at our list, I think um, uh, just, I guess, based on what, what we were thinking about coming into this recording, I think you pick guys that are a little more, um, not not as a criticism, but a little more of like a slam dunk prospect, where uh, I pick guys that are a little more of a, yeah. like a lottery ticket type yeah, guy. Yeah, so. I, I was just I was just about to make the same point. I mean, I, I, I picked some slam dunk guys, I think, <laughs> and, and you, you kind of went, you picked some more interesting names in, in the sense of, yeah, you know, so I mean, where, just where for the listener, are, I so. mean, I'm not saying that I think Jorge Mateo is as good of a prospect to own as Benintendi. I absolutely don't think that. Um, we're just kind of maybe looking at a little different angle. So my guys are a little more, I think they're interesting, and maybe you pick them up and they could grow into something. Um, you know, Mateo's a guy that last year, if you picked him up at a dollar, and then he shoots up to top 25 on some prospect lists, maybe the value is not that you start him, it's that you flip him to somebody who, you know, they've gotten the bug. Um, whereas someone like Ben Intendi, you're really owning because you think he could help you right away. Yeah, and and that's a, that's an important point you just made, Tom, too. And and that's absolutely if you're going to speculate on some of these prospects, you you will do just as good a job speculating on the guys that you predict will have that helium in the future as you will in speculating on the guys that you think are really going to come up and do something. Because most of the time, especially if you're a competitive team and you know you're going to you you know you're really going to be competing you're you're leveraging these guys as trade assets and a guy like Corey Mateo if you believe that he's going to have a great season this year he's going to shoot him mean, he's already up there in some of those lists you think he's going to have even more helium then you know you're not owning him just because you're waiting for him to come up you're owning him because you think buy him now 
sell him later and you're going to make a big profit on that on that uh, transaction on that exchange. Um, and I can completely buy that. You you can have trouble sometimes if you do that and then he ends up moving up to double A and then stinks and it doesn't look like he's coming up until 2018. You know, there's some <laughs> yeah. there's some risk there for sure. But that's why that's another reason why I said for a dollar or two right now. Um, I think there's there's worse ways to spend your your dollar or two on a speculative prospect than than a guy like Mateo. So, um, all right. Uh, well, you want to go on to number two on your list? Yeah. So my my number two. Again, I already spoiled it. All, all of mine are going to be college hitters that came in from the draft last year. Um, my second pick is going to be Alex Bregman. Right now, he's been playing some third base um, in uh, in Double A for the Astros, and there's a lot of speculation right now that he could be up at some point this year, maybe soon ish, um, to play third base the rest of the way for the Astros. Um, he's been as good as anybody as any other hitter in in the minor leagues this year. Um, he has basically just as good plate discipline as Benintendi showed in high A. He's been showing in double A this year, and he's also had power that, that people didn't think he had. Um, right now, he has an 11.7% walk rate, 7.4% K rate. So he doesn't strike out. He's got a 333 ISO. That's 12 home runs and 162 plate appearances, which is crazy. I mean, and, and this is as a shortstop eligible guy right now. He's probably going to come up as a third baseman, but I, I believe he's he's already got shortstop eligibility. So if he comes up this year, you're going to be able to plug him in. If you know, right? You need 20 games in the minors, right? Which he's you know beaten easily which, this year, which, which I believe he has. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, so you're looking at a guy that right now, I mean, he was the second overall pick last year, and he's mashing Double A. He's 22 already, so he's he's you know almost a year older than than Benintendi. Um, I think he's up this year. And I don't think he hits well enough to be useful as a third baseman, but I think he absolutely will hit well enough to at least be an option that you can consider um, off the bench at a shortstop position. So um, I like him a lot. I liked him a lot in the draft, and I liked him a lot going into this season. Um, and I think he's the sort of guy that that's going to be one of those really hit the ground running. You know, if he's showing that much play discipline right now, his power – is playing up from where people thought he would have his, his projections going into the draft and then coming out of last season's performance in, uh, in low A and in high A. Um, and, and if he, sh- if he is able to maintain middle infield eligibility, it's going to be tough in, in Houston, obviously, because they already have Correa at short and they have Altuve at second. So, you know, he may be a third baseman only in a couple of years and that would definitely hurt his value quite a bit. Um, but I also think that there's a, n- a not insignificant chance that they decide to move Correa over to third and, and put Bregman in a shortstop instead. Um, and I think especially too, it's, um, you know, it's not as hard as people might think to maintain eligibility in Adenu. You know, Miguel Cabrera maintained third base for a couple of years, even though he was only playing a couple of games a year the right. past couple of seasons. Yeah. So, it, what, you know, what? if he just gets in a couple of games, you know, at the end of the game as a pinch hitter or something, and then moves to shortstop, he could maintain shortstop eligibility pretty easily. Right. Yeah, because once once he's in the majors, you need five games started or ten games played, and that's for eligibility in the current season and or the prior season. So if he comes up and he plays five games at shortstop, even if he's primarily a third baseman, then he'll have shortstop eligibility going into next year. So, um, you know, so if he can well, get five- will he have shortstop next year anyway because he got the twenty in the minors? Uh, yes, he will. You're right. So, so he'll even if he comes up next year, but so then he'll he could lose it potentially next year. Exactly. So he'll have shortstop eligibility next year, no matter what, because he has 20 games in the minors for this year. So yeah, that's true. Um, but I mean, he's a guy, I, I, I like him a lot and I think that he's, maybe he's not going to be, he's not going to be a power guy in the majors. I don't think, but, but again, he's kind of like that intendee is that he's controlling the strike zone. He's, um, he's going to have his doubles. So he'll have enough power that, that that'll be useful. And he's playing at a much scarcer position. The replacement value, at, if he's a shortstop eligible guy, is a lot different than Benintendi in the outfield. Um, I think he may be just as good a hitter, but he's playing at a, you know the scarcer position. So, um, and I think his, his ETAs, especially given the performance right now. I mean, Benintendi's struggling in Double A, and Bregman's been destroying it. So, um, well, I, considering what's ahead of him, you know, the Astros could use the help. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other big reason. I mean, there's there's. Not necessarily an open spot right now in in the Red Sox outfield. Although I know Brock Holt got hurt recently, um, I'm not sure how how long he's going to be out. But 
you know, the, the window of opportunity for Bregman, I think, is a lot more wide open right now for him to, to be able to come up this year. And and then we'll see how he does. Um, I'm pretty confident that he'll do he'll he'll acquit himself well, but we'll see. Um, but yeah. Yeah, right. I really like that pick. I mean, he's, I think with he's your just, picks, there's nothing not to like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I again, I absolutely. I mean, I, we, we before we did this episode, Tom said, you know, oh, let's talk about this, and then I said, okay, well, well, I can pick three minor league guys I like. <laughs> it just so happens that they're basically three of the, you know, the third one's less so than the first two, but um, you know, I'm picking guys that are, are have had really good seasons so far. So I mean, I'm I'm cheating, and not that your guys well, have you know, had good I, seasons. I was going to say, I think, um, you know, you're not necessarily cheating. I mean, these were two guys that. We would have expected to perform well at the beginning of the season, but not everybody does. You know, every year there's prospects that we expect them to take a step forward yeah. and then they flop or they, you know, kind of disappoint and we have to wait. And these two guys have really been forcing the issue. You know, they're making it clear that that they could play maybe not today, but soon, as opposed it, to some other players that are kind of yeah. you're going to have to wait and see when do they really make that clear. Yeah. And the segue off of this real quick, I, there's another point that I want to make is that there was some discussion in the in the Slack community this week about, you know, somebody asked a question about Conforto versus uh, Nomar Mazzara. And and they were asking about their relative value um, as as a as a player to target as a rebuilding uh, team. And, you know, there was a lot of back and forth. And I I think the Conforto was like ten dollars more expensive than Mazzara. So that makes a big difference. And that probably in, in all reasonable aspects probably should have made the, the, the clear answer Mazzara. But I, I put in my two cents and, and said, you know, Conforto, because I just thought he'd be a better hitter short term than Mazzara. And I think it was Chad Young made a point that, you know, Mazzara had a better pedigree. And I, I was confused by that statement because um, Conforto was a top, I don't remember where he got drafted, but he was a top draft pick. And and Chad's well, argument he, was... He was hyped too, you know, coming off of the College World Series, like people knew his name. <laughs> yeah, but and Chad's argument was that he didn't really appear on any of the, the top prospects lists. And my my argument to that was, well, he didn't have time to. I mean, he came up so, right, so yeah. fast. <laughs> and I think the other thing we have to be very careful of with, with a lot of these prospect lists, like a guy like Mateo, a guy like, um, you know, a lot of the shortstop prospects, a guy like Ozzy Albies. A lot of those guys are on those prospect lists because they play shortstop, because they have good defense. Um, Lindor was never a top prospect because of his hitting. He was a top prospect because he had he's a, he's an amazing defensive shortstop, and people thought you know the scouts thought he'd hit enough that he you know he would be maybe an average hitter, and, and that would be that would be a fantastic player because his defense was so good. So he wasn't at the top of the list because he was a masher. Uh, now he's ended up hitting a lot better than I think a lot of people thought he would. Um, but that's not the, quite 400 on base percentage. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that's the other thing you have to keep in mind with Conforto not really appearing and, and Mazzara. Mazzara, I think, is a much better defensive player than Conforto is. And I think that was probably another reason why maybe Conforto didn't appear at the, at the top of some of those prospects lists because I think there was a there was an expectation that maybe he was a, a liability in the outfield and that maybe being a left a left-hander that struggles um, – that struggles against left-handed pitching that maybe he was a platoon guy, you know, maybe he get it get exposed. I mean, and he has, they, the Mets have definitely not been um, running him out there too much against left-handed pitchers. So, I mean, I think those, those aspects, the fact that he was up so quick, the fact that he wasn't a great defensive player to begin with, the fact that he kind of had a, a stigma about him as a, yeah, he can mash righties, but, um, but that's maybe he's not a great defensive player. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the minor leagues that mash righties and can't play defense. So, um, that's not as remarkable as, as a guy like Mazzara, who's a five tool guy and, and plays good defense and has a lot, you know, maybe doesn't show it on the base, base path, but I think he's a faster player than Conforto is. And Did you uh, see that home run Mazzara hit off the third deck. Oh yeah. The huge one. Oh, yeah. That's huge. I think that happened the day after I was in this conversation with everybody and was, was saying <laughs> that, that Conforto was a better player. And, uh, I think, I think he hit that home run cause he was pissed at me for saying that. So, um, <laughs> But anyway, the reason I bring all this up with with Conforto is the guys that I'm going to mention here as my three picks, I think they're very similar to that where Ben Intendi really wasn't on. I mean, he was on prospect lists, but he was probably like a mid 40s guy. He's a top 10 prospect right now. And the same with Bregman. Bregman was higher, I know. But again, because he played shortstop, those shortstop prospects are always going to be higher. So one of the reasons I wanted to bring these guys up, yes, they're hitting well. Yes, they were high draft picks. But if all you're doing is looking at the prospect rankings before this season, you may not realize how good these guys really are, that that they really should be, you know, top 10, top 15 guys 
Whereas in the preseason, you might have looked at that and thought, oh, he's a 20s or 30s or 40s guy. Um, so that's a, that's the reason I bring up Conforto is I think especially in the case of Bragman and, and probably in the case of Benintendi, these guys are going to come up fast enough. They may not appear on a prospect list next year because they may not be eligible to be on a prospect list next year. <laughs> um, so you miss out on the fact that that they they came up so fast um, through the system and then they hit so well right from the beginning that that maybe they don't. You know they'll they'll appear on a midseason list this year, but if all you're looking at is the preseason list, it may be underselling how how good these guys are right now. So, yeah, and you know I think that's really kind of the point of the exercise we're doing here is to highlight some of these guys that you know they might not have been top ten, top twenty guys on those preseason lists, and now they've caught our eye for whatever reason. And I think you and I kind of in different angles, we both highlighted guys that fit that bill. Yeah. All right, we're 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 getting very verbose here, so why don't we why don't we move things <laughs> As along? As we're known for, so. yeah. All right, well, we'll go back over to my list. Um, and my guy, uh, kind of in fitting with the other guys I picked, um, Hunter Renfro, someone who I think he has been on the radar a little bit for the past couple of years, just like Mateo has been. Um, and Renfro, I think, was a little higher regarded, even as early as you know a year or two ago. Um, he was somebody who was appearing kind of in the mid hundreds on prospect lists, uh, and I think. The reason that he is notable to me now has a little bit to do uh, with his performance this year, which has been very good. Uh, he's cut down on his strikeout rate, which is helpful. There was a lot of talk that he might be one of those, um, like a Carlos Quentin type, like big power, but was going to strike out a ton. And he's been cutting down on his strikeout rate at each stop over the past two years. Um, but also because I think he's a guy who suffers a little bit from prospect fatigue. You know, he feels like a guy who's been around for two, three years now, yeah. which is a long time in prospect years. And it starts to make you feel, you know, like, is this guy a flop? Is he not going to pan out? Um, and I don't think that's the case with him. He's 24 years old, which is, a, you know, a little bit old for a prospect, but he's also in AAA. He's right on the verge of getting called up. So he's right about at that age where you'd expect him to be getting a major league shot. Um, and I mean, we've seen the Padres offense. There's really nothing in his way when they decide that it's time. Um, so I think he's a guy who kind of fits both sides of the bill. He has the pedigree. He's had the performance, which has increased uh, over like each year and each stop in the minors recently. Um, and just like kind of a lighter version of someone like Benintendi, he's someone that could help you right away. You know, if if it came out on MLBTR that Renfro was getting called up tomorrow, I would not be surprised. Um, you know, if it comes out that he's going to get called up in July or August, I think he's kind of in that position right now. Um, he's a guy that maybe last year, you know, was not the hottest target. But if you're in trades this year, he might be somebody great to pick up. And just like you were saying about Benintendi or about Conforto, could be somebody that comes up at the end of the year. And then next year, he's someone you're looking at with a full-time job that could be maybe a 10 or more dollar player. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with the, the prospect fatigue when it comes to Renfro. I mean, he was the 13th overall pick in 2013 so um he definitely has as, as i mentioned before what chad was bringing up the pedigree of mazara i mean he has the pedigree he was a high draft pick um i think he had a, a kind of a rough part of his season in 2014 and, and in the beginning of 2015 and i think that kind some of injuries too yeah and i think that as you said i think that was where some owners kind of uh you know the guys that were on his bandwagon maybe jumped off a little bit but um, but as a, as a guy that's already 24, I mean, that that's right around that age where if you expect that he, he comes up, um, he'll probably transition pretty well. I mean, right. If he was an A ball at 24, you know, that's a big red flag, but at triple a or even, or he's even already <clears throat> go ahead. <laughs> I was just gonna say, even, even like a 20 year old that's in triple a right now and comes up. I mean, I just think a younger guy it has a better chance to struggle than a guy that's 24. He has. Right. You know, he's he's been in double A for parts of two seasons. He's been in triple A for parts of two seasons. I mean, he's been in the system for four. I was going to say he was year. even at triple A a bit last year. So he clearly, you know, they're giving him the time to adjust. And just like I said, you know, there's nothing standing in his way. So it's not like they're just keeping him down. You know, there, there's nothing no in his reason. way, Tom. Do you, are you just ignoring Matt Kemp and Melvin Upton? <laughs> who were both hitting pretty, pretty well the last time I checked. Yeah, but. But but I don't think we're in a case though where like they couldn't find a spot for him. You know, it's not like yeah, the Red yeah, Sox. Yeah. Where, no, I I agree. I agree. Yeah, you I know, mean, and I think um there's not much in his way long term either. You know, so it's I think it's tougher in a situation where you don't want to call a guy up and have him you know sit on the bench not only this year 
But to have it be like he's thinking, how am I even going to win a spot in the outfield next year? Like, am I just going to be the fourth outfielder? Whereas if he comes up and he performs, he's the kind of player that they will find a way to give him a starting role or to give him, you know, a big role, even if he's not a full time starter. Yeah. Um, And and I was just going to say about about there being not much in his way. You know, I think that in a way is a good sign for him because this is not like they're a team that's going to call him up out of desperation. They're clearly leaving him. You know, until they feel that he's fully ready. I think when he comes up, it's going to be um, a little bit like what we've seen with some Rays players, where they're very comfortable to just leave a guy until he's fully ready and he comes up and you can tell that he was ready to take the next step. He didn't get called up just to fill a gap or just out of desperation. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have a few concerns with Renfro. Uh, number one, I think short term, as silly as it is to say, and um, I was kind of joking when I mentioned Kemp and, and, and Upton, but... <laughs> Short term, I think there are some barriers to him getting playing time. I mean, I think they're paying those guys money and they they like to be out from underneath those contracts. But for right now, they, they kind of have to run them out there. Um, so I think short term, there is a little bit of a playing time uh, issue for him if he gets called up. Um, Long term, they do have another outfielder in that system that that I would expect reasonably is a better defender in, in Manny Margot. So he does have, you know, that issue that that if Margot is... I don't. I haven't really checked, but I think he's maybe not having quite as good an offensive season. But he may be uh, a guy that they look at, you know, right around the same time frame that they might call up as well. And if they're both up in the majors, I would think that they would maybe, you know, use Renfro as like a bench bat rather than a, a starter. Um, and then the other concern is he just doesn't walk. He's got a three point six percent walk rate right now. And, yeah, you know, he's got a lot of power, the but fear that he was just going to strike out like crazy and not walk. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's not striking out like crazy. I mean, he's under 20 percent right now. So maybe there's some there's some hope there. But I mean, Steamer, as a rest of the season projection, projects him at a 5 percent walk weight, walk rate and a 24.4 percent K rate, um, which is pretty poor. I mean, with a with a decent ISO, I mean, that's still under 300 weighted on base, which really doesn't play. In Ottawa, in the outfield. So, I mean, well, that would be at the majors, though, right? Which that's the major league projection, tends right? To be kind of low on some of these rookies because it doesn't quite want to project any single guy as a breakout. Yeah, but I would say that that Steamer was higher than Zips in the preseason, so I would expect yeah. that Zips probably has you know a lower projection than that um, if he gets called up for rest yeah. of the season as well. So, well, I mean, I'm not saying I expect him to be amazing right away. Just yeah. Yeah. At the same time that I, you know, I would caution people not to always go um, exactly with the steamer projection on somebody who's like a potential rookie. Yeah, you know? I, I, and I think you're not doing that. You're looking at right. Some I'm, of the I'm pointing it out like here are the well. risks. The risks are exactly maybe he does have more of a playing time issue than than you seem to indicate. And maybe um, he does have one of those profiles that if he's not walking in the majors and he's not making contact, if the strike rate goes up, um, you know, that's a, those are the kinds of guys that really struggle. The guys that have really good plate discipline, you know, they they usually are the ones that make that transition a little bit easier. So um, this could be one of those guys that comes up and he kind of looks like a quad A slugger, like he did great in AAA, but he just can't make enough contact. He doesn't have enough plate discipline to really perform at the major league level, or or not. Or maybe he comes up and he he does very similar to what he's doing right now, and it doesn't matter that he only walks 5% of the time because he's got his strikeouts under 20% and he's he's got an over 200 ISO. I mean, that's just as reasonable, I think, for, for a guy like Renfro. So, um, all right, why don't we move on to my last guy here. Um, I accused you of a homer pick before, so I'm going to make my homer <laughs> pick now. <laughs> um, and I this is a guy I think I mentioned in one of my articles at one point as a guy to target. Um, I had an article about, you know, players I would be buying as either a rebuilding team or a contender. And he was one of the guys that I thought that this, a this is a guy. Target. This is a guy, by the way, that I almost picked for my list, but I knew Justin was going <laughs> to like him. So I left him off my list. And sure enough, Justin did select him. <laughs> um, I, I picked Ian Happ um, with the Cubs. He's in high A right now. He was also a top 10 draft pick last year. I mean, are you sensing a theme? I mean, these college hitters drafted in the top 10, um, you know that that are performing pretty well this season. Uh, wow, what a what a what a strange coincidence that Justin would like those guys. Um, he the the biggest reason he's on those lists though for me is that he's been playing second base, and I think I made that same point when I wrote the article. Um, he's playing second base, and that is a big deal. Um, that's a lot better for his uh, you know potential value over replacement um, if and when he comes up. 
um, than it would be if he was an outfielder. Now, outfield's still still fine. Um, it's better than first base, third base eligibility. Um, but second base and, and a guy you can play at second or a guy you can play at your middle infield position is, is worth more for sure. Um, well, you know, and I think in terms of positions, second base and outfield is really a nice combination in Adenu because you need three infielders and you need five outfielders. Those are really the two positions that depth can hurt you. Yeah, absolutely. And I love having a guy eligible at both. Ben Zobrist used to be a great example of this before he got even better and got shortstop <laughs> eligibility. Yeah. Um, but someone, you know, you can start him in middle infield every day. But then in a pinch, if you shift them to the outfield, you know, to cover an extra game, they just give you more flexibility like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Cubs have not been afraid to draft these these college hitters and move them through the system quickly. I mean, we saw it with Bryant. Now, Bryant was much more of a prospect than, than Hap is. I'm not making that sort of uh, equivalent connection there. But and, and even Schwarber. Schwarber was the other example of a college hitter that, that they drafted high that, that came up quickly. Oh, um, it's sad to talk about Kyle <laughs> Schwarber right now. Yeah, you're telling me. Anyway. <laughs> I don't think Hap is, is as good as either of those two as far as, you know, how they were as prospects and his potential future performance. I am not saying he's as good as the two of them. I don't think he is as good as the two of them. But he's going to play at second base probably um, when he gets called. I think their plan is for him to be their second baseman when he gets called up. Um, I don't think he's up this year. I think he's probably a mid-summer call-up, maybe a September call-up next year. Um, but he's, you know, he's almost 22. He is a college hitter. He's only in high A right now, so maybe he gets up to double A at the end of this year, and then he starts next year at double A, and then gets some triple A time, and then maybe gets called up. That's kind of what I'm seeing right now, um, and so, which means that he'll have second second base eligibility when he gets called up next year if he gets called up next year. Um, he he's not he strikes out too much. Um, the Cubs seem to draft a lot of these guys to strike out too much, but <laughs> he has decent pop, and if, and if he's playing at second base, that 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 power plays quite a bit better. Um, and he walks. I mean, he's got a 15.8% walk rate right now. I mean, that's one of the carrying tools for him is that he he gets on base. Um, he has enough power um, that I think he's definitely a guy that, you know, maybe right now he's 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 even more of an example of that Conforto effect where he was not in the top 50 in preseason lists. And I think that maybe he is a top 50 guy right now that that some people might be sleeping on. And as a second base guy rather than an outfielder, um, he's definitely a guy that I would be paying attention to if I was, you know, looking to make a trade and I could, I could pick him up as a, as a rebuilding team. So, yeah, I, I think I, uh, didn't I pick him up from you in one league? Yeah. You got him from me in champs. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we both definitely like Ian Happ. I, I think I had actually been thinking about him on your team as someone I liked. And then you went ahead and wrote that article and I was like, ah, crap. Like I'm never going to get him. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like that pick a lot. Um, you know, I think, like I said, some of your guys, not as a criticism, are, you know, kind of slam dunks. And I think you hit the nail on the head that those college players are really, you know, a great source of auto new players. Um, I think uh, if you ever listen to Up and In, the old uh, baseball prospectus podcast with Kevin and Jason. Yeah. Um, they talked a lot about, you know, how when you're a team and you're drafting, you want to hit on that superstar and teams will pick player after player you know, 16, 17 years old, they'll go and pick up Dominican and Latin American players trying to hit on that guy that can become a superstar. Um, whereas you go and look at kind of the money ball method, the A's drafted a lot of college guys that they thought they could pick up and maybe they weren't going to pick the next Bryce Harper, but they were going to pick solid, you know, players that could contribute right away, be that mid tier kind of medium level star. And I think in Adenu, that's the perfect player. You know, you don't want to sit on and a ball prospect and hope that he grows into something. You want to pick up guys that you can plug in right now, and the college guys are perfect for that time frame. Right. So I think that's, you know, all three of your guys fit perfectly into that strategy. And, and, you know, and I said it already, but I'll say it again. I mean, that was kind of the point. I mean, I, I wanted to pick these guys, and it was cheating in the sense of these guys are doing really well, and they're they're right at the top of the list. It's not that interesting to talk about guys that everybody knows about, but their guys are going to be up quick. I mean, Maybe Hap's the furthest away, um, but we're still talking probably next year for sure, I would say. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the Cubs are known for, like I said, they're they're known for bringing these guys up quick. And they they do have a long-term opening at second base. So, I mean, I don't think Baez is going to stick um, as a middle infielder. Plus, there's, isn't there still Baez trade talks? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I wish, uh, anything could happen there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and. And Hap has the flexibility that he could also come up as a as a left fielder or possibly a center fielder. I mean, he has enough. I think he has enough um, 
defensive acumen in, in the outfield that he could be a sort of a a Dexter Fowler type center fielder where he's not terrible. Um, he's better in left field, but he can handle center field. So I think he, he always has that fault to fall back on as well. If second base doesn't work out, I think he has the flexibility that he can be an outfielder as well. So, and you know, you saw the Cubs are not afraid to use someone like Ben Zobrist who can bounce around from second base, center field, right field, or, or even what they're doing with Baez right now, you know, sprinkling him in across yeah. the infield, across, you know, a little bit in the outfield. I mean, I, I think that, between Madden and and just the organizational philosophy of, of having some depth and some flexibility with these guys. Um, I think he fits right into that MO for them. So um, definitely. So we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously I'm a Cubs fan, so I hope he, <laughs> I hope he does well. Uh, all right. Why don't we, why don't we get your third guy there? All right. So my third guy um, really kind of fits in the most into the category of someone that I would target. Um, not only because I think he could be a valuable player on your team, but really, the number one reason I like him is because he's somebody that I think will be really great trade bait, um, either to dangle in front of your opponents or um, hopefully to hold over the winter and see as his trade stock goes up. Uh, and that's Victor Robles, an outfielder for the Nationals. He's somebody that um, this year, kind of on the preseason rankings, he was ranking in the low hundreds, you know, in that 80, 90 range. Uh, but every write-up of him said, you know, this is a guy that next year he could be in the top 20 range easily, which I think is, um, you know, if we look at those college guys as someone that could provide you value right away, I think these helium guys are the ones that you can pick them up for a dollar or two. And you know that, honestly, they're probably not going to be on your team in three or four years when they're contributing. But you know that somebody is going to get the bug and they're going to really love that guy and you can flip him for a great return. I think Robles is the perfect guy in that range. He's performing well this year. You know, we've already seen in a couple of these early um, re-ranking, the middle year rankings, that he is moving up. Um, and if he keeps performing anything close to this, I think he could easily be somewhere in the top 25 by, you know, spring next year. And then if you're if you're looking to make a trade, if you're a contender, I think he's going to be a guy you really are happy to have on your team at that point. Yeah, I, I like him quite a bit. I mean, the... As you said, I mean, the reason he's more of like a helium play than a, you know, actually helping you out in the short term play is, is because he's so young and because he's only in single A right now. He's in low A. Um, but I like him quite a bit. And, you know, I think he's definitely the other thing that he has going for him is he's a very good defender and he can play center field. So those are the sorts of guys. I and, mean, you know, you see the shortstops that can play defense. You see the, the center fielders that can play defense. They come up quicker sometimes, especially if he's he's reasonable with the bat. And right now he's he's been a lot more better than reasonable with the bat. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so he could be a guy that moves up pretty quick and comes up as a as a twenty or a twenty one year old. I mean, he's not yet twenty years old right now. So, um, you know, I I I think that there's definitely um, a little more risk in, a, in in rostering a player like this just because he's so young and and he's so far away. But if you're doing it as a, you know, you can either be patient and wait and then hope that he comes up early. Or, as you said, the reason you picked him is a guy with helium. I think I agree completely. I think he's a top 25 prospect on lists going into next season. So um, I think that's a guy that you can you can invest in low, potentially low right now. And and then maybe cash that in in the offseason or, or early next year um, if you're looking to make a buying push. So, um yeah. yeah. One thing I like to look at sometimes with pitchers, but I think it applies here too, um, is a pitcher who kind of has a couple different paths to success. You know, so one reason that I've liked Adam Moore in the past couple of years is that he was successful in the bullpen and as a starter. You could kind of pick him up and then wait to see what happens. I think Robles is a little bit like that in terms of prospect path. You know, you could pick him up now, and if it's clear that he is making his name onto the fast track, then you can hold on to him and you know hope that he comes up that he maybe he makes it to double A next year and he puts himself in the conversation to come up as a September call up, that kind of thing. Or, you know, if it's clear that I think his value is just going to continue to rise, you can kind of keep your eye on it. And if you think his value is going up, but he's not quite on the fast track, maybe that's when you turn around and you decide to sell him and hold on to other guys. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So uh, just one other little thing, looking at here on his um, Cato protections, the second highest uh, comp to him is Josh Hamilton, which I think, um, you know, that maybe isn't the greatest name in terms of Josh Hamilton's actual career path. But I think in terms of the type of player he could be, you know, that's a great comp in, um, you know, you could see someone who maybe is not the perfect center fielder, but can play center. You know, he's fast. He can get around after the ball um, and who has a ton of power. He's stolen uh, a lot of bases. Um, 
which in Adenu, uh Fangrass points, stolen bases don't count for that much, but, you know, any little bit of extra value counts, and if you're playing in a 5x5, five five, you know, of course you want stolen bases. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I think he's a great guy to have right now, and then my only caution with him would just be uh, really to watch him and be aware of where you're going to get the most value from him, whether that's to try and flip him or to wait it out and see what you can get. Yeah. All right. Well, did you want to just take a minute? Uh, I put a, a cheat player here on my list, and I know you picked one too. Um, my cheat player was Trace Thompson of the Dodgers, uh, who is not uh, strictly a prospect. He has about 70, 80 games to his name now. Um, but he was someone who last year for the White Sox, he, he kind of came out of nowhere. He was... Uh, not a bad prospect, but not really regarded as anything special. And he hit really well. The Dodgers acquired him in that three-team uh, Todd Frazier deal. And he's hit even better this year. Uh, and he's someone that I, honestly, I think it's pretty legit. Um, I don't know about his playing time in the Dodgers outfield, because they've got a bunch of guys who are injured and potentially returning soon. So he may not have a full-time job. Uh, but he's definitely someone who is getting a chance to prove himself if he continues to hit well. You could see a situation where the Dodgers finally try to cut bait with Crawford and Ethier and then go ahead and give Thompson a job or potentially, um, you know, a semi platoon kind of job where he has a heavy amount of work, but not quite full starter amount. So, uh, again, not quite a prospect, but in terms of kind of a breakout young player, he's someone that I'd be targeting right about now. Yeah, I he's he's hit pretty well. Um, he, in, in, in a small sample last year and a small sample so far this year. Um, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna point out his flaws too, too strongly right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in the context in which you're bringing him up is not like a, a game breaker kind of like you must get this guy at all costs, but as a, as a guy that could be a functional, you know, outfield bench guy or, you know, like a fifth, sixth outfielder on a, on an auto team. Um, yeah, I can see that. Um, he's already 25. He's he's performed well so far in the majors. I mean, he has 251 plate appearances and he has a 377 Woba. Um, and that's not driven too much by Babip. So um, it's a small sample, but he's hit well. So and he hit, you know, he didn't hit quite that well in the minors. That's the only thing that's kind of kind of weird about it. He's hit, hit better in the majors the last two years than he did in AAA and AA for the White Sox when he was in their in their minor league system. But um, but, you know, he's 25 and then maybe this is. We're seeing his breakout, you know, as you said. I mean, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this is when he, you know, he he gained uh, more power and, and a little bit better idea of what he's doing at the plate, and we could be seeing that right now. So, um, you know, as a speculative guy, I I can buy into it. I mean, I think he actually um, he reminds me a little of a guy, not in terms of a, a style comp, but in terms of a value comp of uh, Gerardo Parra, who you mentioned earlier. As someone who, you know, I don't think he, you don't want to be pulling him in like as your third outfielder, but as someone that you could use him as a bench guy, as your fifth outfielder, and then hopefully he grows into a little more and shows that it's legit. I think he's a good guy to um, to have on your team. Yeah, I mean, I, I I wish he weren't on the Dodgers because I think he'd have a, more of a chance. Like if he was in the Reds, for example, you know, and he, maybe he was an option for them in left field over Duval or something like that. I mean, they already had a guy like this in Scott Shebler. He was very kind of a similar profile. Um, and they moved him to the Reds in the offseason. But I just think, you know, even if Ethier and Crawford aren't there next year, um, the Dodgers are going to be in play for, you know, free agents. They're going to be in play for big, big trade acquisitions. So I think it's entirely reasonable that he's never going to have a chance to be anything more than a fourth outfielder. Um, And I mean, we've seen that with other players on the Dodgers, you know, Crawford even, who was supposed to be this guy that would come in and they were paying him all this money. They'd have him play left field. Um, and of course he's been injured some of the time, but even beyond that, he was getting squeezed out of a job and Ethier too, you know, would get squeezed to the bench sometimes. So it is possible that really nobody can come to the Dodgers and escape like that four headed beast. <laughs> well, and even in their infield, I mean, Howie Kendrick was supposed to be their starting second baseman, but, but Utley's their starting second baseman and, right. and Kendrick, the only reason he's even playing right now is because he's been playing left field because they've had, you know, those injuries and they've kind of had a revolving door out there this year. So, um, you know, the Dodgers are very much like the Cubs in that respect where, you know, they have the they have the the, the ability in terms of their the talent in their system and their financial flexibility that they value depth. I mean, they, they want to have guys that they can, you know, they have a 25-man deep roster, whether it's the rotation or whether it's these guys that can come in and play when somebody gets hurt. 
Um, you know, that's a benefit to them because yeah, a benefit to Trace Thompson because he they they're not shy about giving a guy like that an opportunity. Um, but at the same time, there's going to be a lot of other talent in, on that team next year or, or you know over the next two years. Um, it's hard to see him really getting a shot. But if he hits like he's hitting now, um, they may decide you know what we've got a cheap you know option in left field and we can spend our money somewhere else. So that that's that's yeah. you know just as as good a chance there maybe potentially if he keeps this up. Um, well, you know what? In Ottawa, you know, you don't always need every one of your players to be a full-time starter. If you've got five starting outfielders and you've got someone like a Trace Thompson or, you know, the past couple of years, Gerardo Parra, someone that you hold on to and you can play them when you get a game from them, um, you know, with, uh, with outfield being so thin in Ottawa, you need some players like that, really. You know, every team that I've had has five or six full-time outfielders and then a couple of these platoon guys or someone who plays yeah. part-time. You just got to take what you can get sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it'd be better if he had a better home park. It'd be better if he was a lefty instead of a righty, because then you could play those those matchups a little easier. Yeah, um, you know that's that's why a guy like Vance I, like I've always kind of I, I was gonna say exactly that. Um, or no, I, I take that back. Vance Lake's also a right hander. I don't know why I said that. Well, that's exactly what I was gonna say. That um, you know, the problem with Trace Thompson is that he could end up being the next Vance Lake, someone right. who you know you keep picking him up, hoping that he's gonna be useful, and then he just doesn't play enough. But. Right. Because he's only because he's only facing lefties and yeah you know and then yeah. that's the other issue is for right now for Thompson is you know when Van Slyke comes back up um, you know they're, they're they, very similar yeah they they've got a similar profile uh, you know kind of a power guy and and you know, I don't know his platoon split splits you know if he's necessarily just you know if he's only exposed against right-handers and he's much better against lefties I'm not sure but um, it doesn't seem in a small sample he seems to be he has a split but it's not a huge split so. Um, not as big as Van Slyke, so maybe he's a better bet to actually play against right-handers than Van Slyke is. So right, Van Slyke is like notable for killing lefties, and that's it. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, uh, my uh, my little cheat pick here is another guy that's not really a prospect. My guy's still in the minors, but um, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm picking a pitcher here who doesn't get a lot of notoriety, and he's more of a command pitcher than he is a stuff pitcher. And everyone's going to think that I'm talking about Clayton Blackburn, but, I, <laughs> but I'm not talking about Clayton Blackburn. Is it Bartolo Colon? <laughs> no, it's not. I didn't say with massive home run power. Um, I'm going to highlight uh, Joe Musgrove. This is uh, another guy in the Astros system, and right now he's in AAA. Um but he has a very, in many respects, he's a very similar profile to Blackburn. He doesn't have a ton of stuff. He's very much a command pitcher, um, kind of not a lot of buzz about him. Um, I think he's – I've been noticing him getting added in a lot of auctions recently, though. So he is a guy that you're probably starting to see uh, get picked up in your in your auto new leagues. But he's got um, – in 18 innings right now, it's only three starts at AAA, but he's got 9.5 Ks per nine, but only one walk per nine, and that's his MO. I mean, for his career, um, he's a guy that walks – um, under 2%. Uh, yeah, just over 1%. In, in his entire minor league career, he's a 1.06 walks per nine. So this is a guy that doesn't walk anybody. It's a 3% walk rate. He doesn't walk anybody, but he strikes out enough. He's also got an 8.63 K rate, and that's a 24% K rate. So he, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of stuff, but he's been able to strike guys out in the minor leagues, and he's been able to strike guys out in AAA right now. He's over, like I said, he's nine and a half, and at AA and four starts he had 10.25 case per nine so um you know this is one of those classic guys that the performance is there um he doesn't really have a ton of hype but he was also i mean he was a supplemental round pick back in 2011 so it's not like he was never you know he was he was considered he was a top 50 draft pick so he has a little bit of pedigree and he's been pitching great so I think the Astros, given some of their struggles this year and some of their um, rotation issues right now, I think he's definitely a guy that could come in th this year and get called up and, you know, if he can perform pretty well. Um, you know, I don't think he's ever going to be a high ceiling guy, but as a guy that maybe you can plug in as like a, a matchup play as a starting pitcher that right now you can probably get for a dollar or two. Um, I mean, and that's kind of why, why I've always liked Clayton Blackburn as well, that he I thought he would be able to to come up and, and, you know, not be great out of the gate, but be useful. And the acquisition cost is so low that it's kind of a no brainer in, in my eyes. So um, I think right now Musgrove has a better opportunity than Blackburn 
Uh, Kane just went on the DL and they didn't call up Blackburn. They called up Chris Stratton. When they called up Blackburn a couple weeks ago, they called him up and then he didn't pitch for him. So it was kind of the Joey Gallo thing. You call him up and then you just send him, you know, he didn't go right back down. He was with the team for a week, but then never pitched. So, uh, it's like the, the Julio Urias now came up for one game and got sent back down. Well, at least he pitched. At least you saw what he had. I mean, with, <laughs> he got with, in a game. with Blackburn, they didn't even let him throw. So, um, you know, so, I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's a very similar profile to Blackburn. It's, it's not the sort of guy that you can dream on as a, you know, this guy could potentially be like a, an ace level pitcher. Um, I don't think he has that potential, but I also think that this is the classic example of a guy that's going to be underrated because he doesn't have, you know, a 96 mile an hour fastball and he doesn't have, he hasn't appeared on top 100 prospect lists. So, um, but those kind of guys come up sometimes and they, and they pitch well. And then they, you know, like Kyle Hendricks, I mean, Kyle Hendricks wasn't really a, a top prospect before he came up and he was one of those guys that the projection systems liked because his performance was so good in the minor leagues, but the scouts didn't like because they didn't think he could be able to carry, you know, carry that forward into the, into the major leaguers, you know, when he was actually facing a major league lineup, but he has, and he's been excellent. And, you know, there's, I think there's a chance that a guy like Musgrove, and obviously I think the same thing about Blackburn, um, that they could be kind of a similar profile, not exciting, but, you know, I think they're both reasonably ground ball pitchers and that helps, you know, you're not, you're not as exposed to the, to the home run ball. Cause when you don't have a lot of stuff, you're, you know, you leave a meatball in the center of the plate, it's going to get hit a lot harder if it's 90 versus 96. So, well, yeah, I think uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head that some of these guys like Blackburn uh, are not super exciting from a prospect standpoint. But in Audido, you know, that's what you need to win. You can't have your entire team be like the hottest prospects and the hottest major league stars. You know, you really need to dig deep. And, and these are guys that I think if you're going to dig deep, you know, you want to get um, some kind of guaranteed production. Or I, I shouldn't say guaranteed, but to me, when I'm kind of digging deep for those guys, I want to get guys that are a little safer. Not somebody where, you know, every week, I don't know if he's going to throw a shutout or if he's going to give up four home runs. So I think these guys are great choices for Adenu where they can kind of fill out your rotation and give you those innings you need and not have to worry quite so much. Yeah. And for context right now, I mean, I wouldn't be adding him if I was like a contender and I was counting on him giving you useful innings this year. But if I'm rebuilding, this is a guy that's probably a lot closer to giving you help than, you know, short of the very top pitching prospects, you know, a guy like Snell or a guy like, uh, you know, Urias again, if and when he comes back up, I mean, but short of those guys that are that have a lot, you know, you're not going to get those guys from somebody else. Those guys aren't sitting there on your yeah, waiver. I, on, I was your, just going to say, if you're rebuilding, agency, I mean, you know, you could pick one of these guys up for one or two dollars, right? I mean, if, if you're you rebuild- don't have to go trade a stud, exactly. If you're rebuilding right now and Musgrove or Blackburn are on your waiver, you know, they're free agents. Um, and if you have an open roster spot, you know, if yeah, you have the ability not? to cut somebody, pick them up. I mean, you're they're only going to cost you a buck or two, and maybe 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 in three dollars because we're talking about them tonight but i doubt we have that much of an impact so yeah. you know i you're probably gonna be able to get them cheap i don't know i haven't followed exactly how much he's gone for and, and i know i got him for like two dollars um so you know they're not gonna go for a lot um and you know yeah i got him for two dollars in one league he went in another league was three dollars i think that's the highest i've seen is three dollars um but you know that one to three range and that's pretty cheap when you're adding a guy that that could potentially um is is pitching as well as he is. I mean, he's getting added right now because his performance has been so hard to ignore um, in the minor leagues right now. So, yeah, and just like we said about shortstops, I think applies to pitchers too. You don't need to be that good to be useful. So, if you get a guy for just a couple bucks and he's useful for the season, you know, maybe that was all you needed, and then you cut him loose if he gets too expensive. Yeah, and the, and the worst case scenario is you add him for a couple of dollars right now as a rebuild, and he comes up and he gets shelled, and he doesn't look like you know maybe all the criticisms that he has that you know that his critics have are valid, and he can't get major league hitters out. You know, you, you then you cut him in the off season. You know, you didn't lose yeah. anything. You lost you lost the opportunity cost of a roster spot for a little while. That's it. Right, and if you're rebuilding, yeah, it's not you know the opportunity cost is not really much compared to what you could get in the end. Right, and the opportunity cost as a rebuilding team is a lot lower than it would be as a contender where you need every single roster spot you can get because, you know, if you're trying to make a push to win the league, you really need almost, you know, 36, 37, 38 of those roster spots to get you through. uh, That's almost as as big a part of a reason that you see contenders trade their prospects away is because they just need more players. Yeah, I just need somebody to help me fill my, you know, my... 
I had three shortstops to start the year and two of them got hurt and I can't fill my games, you know? Yeah. I mean, that sort of thing so you're, happens you're all the time. You're forced to make that kind of decision. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. All right. Well, um, I, I will follow your lead on the football podcast and I will d- depart from our normal method of telling everybody what time <laughs> the episode is at. But I will say we've been recording over various podcasts for over two hours now. So um, why don't we wrap this up? Um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you have any interest in football, uh, go ahead and check out Gridiron Geeks. Um, Justin and I had a blast without a new football, and we hope that some baseball players will come check it out. Um, and we'll be back on uh, Autographs next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.